Break everything you knew, faded out of you, stole a piece of you. If I could, oh, I would be a hero, be the one who would take all the arrows, save you from the pain, carry all the weight. But I know that you pray.
Good morning, everyone. Good morning. It's good to see all of you. Thanks for uh, joining us today and choosing to worship right along with us here at Trinity. Uh, praise the Lord for some sunshine, right? You remember that God promised he would not destroy us with the flood anymore, so I know it got like pretty tenuous there, but we praise God for all the, the rain that brings the beautiful flowers, and so Thank God for spring and the sunshine today, and uh, thank the Lord that we have the, the privilege of being able to be together in this place to bring our focus and attention and our worship to the Lord God. And in a minute, I'm just going to read from his word as our call to worship. But I would encourage you that uh, um, as you kind of settle your hearts and have enjoyed some fellowship before the service, it's always wonderful to see that. Um, that we, uh, that we bring our focus and attention to where it should be, you know, and I know that's why we've gathered 
because we don't really come to receive but to give. And that's really what is at the heart of worship, right, is to be able to give back to God and uh, to give worth, that's where the word worship comes from, give worth to him, all that he is due. And so um, praise God, you know, for what he has brought us through this week, the good, the bad, and the ugly, but we get to start a new week together on this first morning. And we are quickly approaching Easter, Resurrection Sunday, in just a couple of weeks. It's early this year, right? It really feels early. It kind of crept up on us in a way. But, um, you know, the, the early church got together on the first day of the week on Sunday mornings because they were celebrating the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the, the fact that the, um, the, the cross was empty, the tomb was empty and the grave could not hold him. And so therefore they gathered to celebrate that. And so we're gonna celebrate that this morning and worship him in many ways. So I wanna start our time of worship by reading from his word. So these are selected uh, readings from Psalm 27. Let this be our call into a time of worship. And then after I read from God's word, uh, we will stand and pray and sing songs of praise to our God as a response to his word. It says in, in Psalm 27, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? One thing I have asked of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. For he will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me high upon a rock. And now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me, and I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage and wait for the Lord. Can I get an amen to those words? Let's stand and pray together. Father, we do wait on you. Lord, it's difficult, but we know it's a privilege to, to be in your midst, to have you within our hearts, to have you uphold us with your right hand of righteousness. And in all things, we wait upon you. God, would you have mercy on us as we desire to, to move on ahead and try to get ahead of you? Oh God, that we would certainly wait, that we would have peace and patience as our guide. And that now as we enter into a time of worship, we want to hear from you even as we surrender and give. God, we desire to be people who are patient and peaceful and waiting upon you. God, again, what a privilege it is to do so. And we thank you most of all for Jesus Christ, our Savior, your Son. For it's in his name that we have gathered this morning, and through the Spirit and for your glory, in his name we worship you now. Amen 
and amen. So let's sing together and worship the Lord.
Hallelujah. He is good, right? He is good and worthy of praise. Say good morning to somebody next to you. Praise the Lord for good worship and great fellowship. Hallelujah. And love to see uh, our young ones, the next generation, making their way down to, uh, to their classes. And so we praise God for that, that wonderful ministry that we have here. And so, again, thank you for joining us and a wonderful time of worship, praising God. And uh, as I had mentioned, uh, Resurrection Sunday is coming up soon, and so we are excited to be able to sell. We celebrate that every day, but um, we set aside that special time as we gather to remember uh, the Lord Jesus Christ and uh, what he has done for us. And so um, we're continuing in our study of Second Peter, so I'm going to make a bunch of announcements now. We call this church life to get a, a sense of where we are in the life of the church, things that are happening now and that we're looking forward to in the next few weeks. And so if you'd like, while I'm doing that, um, you can open up uh, your Bibles or the app on your phone to Second Peter chapter 2. And we're going to be in verses 10 through 16 today. So Second Peter 2, 10 to 16 will be our our scripture passages for today, but we uh, here at Trinity like to use these words a lot, learn, grow, serve, because those are our uh, core values. We learn the truth, we grow in faith, and then we serve, and we serve each other. That's how we pursue being disciples, and we serve each other, and then we take our service outside of these four walls. So next Sunday, we can just, um, whoop, and next Sunday is... 
uh, Palm Sunday, uh, and um, we say, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest, because it is Palm Sunday. There's a lot going on next Sunday, so I just wanted to, to give you a heads up of all the things that are happening. And so, of course, we have, uh, there'll be a special message next Sunday for Palm Sunday to just celebrate the triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem. And I'll be talking about the prophetic significance of Palm Sunday. Uh, but also, next Sunday is the first Sunday of April, and so we have our fellowship lunch. And it may be our first barbecue of the season, but we will let you all know. But we, nonetheless, we will eat together and have wonderful fellowship uh, next, um, next Sunday. And so we'll let you know during the week. We'll send out our text uh, update message and our email to let you know what to bring. Uh, we'll just uh, play it by ear depending on the weather. But regardless, we will have a great time of food and fellowship next Sunday after service. And then during that time, a little bit after, we will have uh, an Easter egg hunt. And so our egg hunt for our Trinity uh, Trinity Kids, we've done that the last few years, and it's always a great time for our Trinity Kids ministry, and so that is uh, next Sunday as well, and so we'll probably start that, you know, during the, the luncheon and just after, and so uh, it's going to be a great opportunity this next two weeks, this Sunday with the egg hunt, and then the following Sunday for uh, Resurrection Sunday, that um, to invite friends and family, especially if they have young ones, to come out and uh, next week to enjoy some food and fellowship after our special service, and then to enjoy um, the egg hunt with the rest of the kids. And so uh, please uh, make sure that you join us for that. That is um, next Sunday as well. And then also um, next Sunday at 3 o'clock, so after the luncheon and after uh, the egg hunt, there will be at 3 o'clock uh, a part of our missions uh, outreach for every month uh, is to go and to help celebrate the graduation uh, of all of those men from the Jersey Shore Rescue Mission and their program. And um, it's going to be an awesome time. It's open for everybody. It's 3 p.m. next Sunday in Ocean Grove. And so it's so close. Everybody can go. It's at Bishop James Tabernacle right there. Many of you know where that is, uh, right in Ocean Grove. And uh, I wanted to ask Andrew Elizabeth to come up and just share a few words about that as sort of a, a testimony to what to look forward to. So come on up. Sure, sure. There you go. It's on. Yes, good morning, Trinity. I want to say um, glory to God. Um, yesterday, as the volunteers came in, it was like, actually like 10 of them. And um, they came to the Jersey Shore Rescue Mission and volunteered their time, their effort, and it was amazing seeing the smiles on the face. You know, I was on the truck, me and my friend was on the truck at first because we didn't see them coming because when you first come in at the Jersey Shore Rescue Mission, we all pray. We all huddle up before we do anything. We pray and give glory to God. But when me and my friend Jason, we came through the, the corridor and we, then we opened up the corridor and we seen everybody like enjoy. It was like a, the Lord put it on my heart. It was like, this is what heaven's going to be like. I mean, it was so much joy in back of a warehouse. I seen a lot of people out of their comfort zone. I'm going to name one name, Marcel. <laughs> it was just amazing seeing the joy in her face, um, handling the clothes, Betsy and Bruce, um, Maureen, all who, you know, volunteered their time and energy just to come out and, and serve with the Lord. 
and uh, and then like you know you with the the fellas there that the people that's in the program that's battling dr drug addiction, alcohol, in their lives they like one step away from being on the outside looking in. They would say they were so happy just to work with them, and my wife there. And the thing is, we're just bringing glory to God. Just bringing glory to God. You know, the rescue mission is a lifeboat to the least, the last, and the lost. We were, we always lost, but we now found through Jesus Christ. And he gave us that blood to go out and, and help these people that's in need. Because we never know where we're going to be in help. You got people in that mission, that program, that works with it, that just lost everything in the fire. Um. You know, the stories that's in there, we got a friend named Jonathan. They, they probably was working next to him, but they probably, he, he probably didn't tell you the testimony. He fell off the train tracks on his head three months in a coma. You got people that lost their lives up in the Jersey Shore Rescue Mission because they was one step away. They, they went back into the world without Jesus. The Lord said, without me, you can't do nothing. Stay connected to the vine. You got people on, the, on these bulletins out there. His name is Barry. He said, I was going to die, so I knew I needed to change. We all need a change in our life. The Lord said, I'm going to restore what the locusts have eaten from you. That's what the rescue mission is about. They got their lives rescued from Jesus Christ. That's our first model at the Jersey Shore Rescue Mission, just to broadcast Jesus. Without him, you're nothing. We can see that. People come in that program, then leave, come. We know somebody last week, his name was Hector. He left the program just left. And I talked to him like three days ago. I said, stay, stay connected to the vine. Stay, what we got out here? Choose who you're going to serve, Bow or you want to serve the Lord. Now, if you serve Bow, it's not going to work out for you. You serve the Lord, you have eternal life. He's going to protect you, and he's going to walk through it every circumstance of your life. You know? And, and I'm a witness to that, because eight years ago, I was homeless in this church. I was in jail. I was locked up six months. I know, I know what it's all about. You know, he restored me, my wife. As well. She came away from Puerto Rico to meet me. <laughs> but it's all by the grace of God. That's what I'm trying to tell you guys. You had to come to this, this, this Market Street mission to see this graduation. The testimony is there. It's, it's so powerful. It, it would, like, change your life, what they went through. We got a, we got a person named Dan that's going to be graduating. He looks like Thor from the Avengers. If you see this guy, he looks like Thor. I mean, it's just amazing how this program is the resource center of God. It's, it's, it's absolutely God. When I seen Bruce and Betsy walk in yesterday, they said, put me to work. That's the first thing they said, put me to work. And you know, that in working for the Lord, you get this insurmountable joy that I can't explain. But I walked through those doors yesterday. It was like walking into heaven. He said, this is going to be like different cultures, different backgrounds. You don't, you don't know who's going to be there. But delight yourself with me and I'll give you the desires of your heart. I'm going to pass it over to my wife because I could be talking all day. So I'm, I'm going to pass it over to my wife. I just got a bit to say because he said it all. But <laughs> it's okay. Um, hold this for me, please. All right, I'm just going to say um, I'll be short. Um, I've worked there six years plus, and I've seen them when they arrive, broken, lost. They don't know what to do. They come to the mission. The first two weeks, it's hard for them. I ask them, how you doing? I can't sleep. I can't eat. I said, don't worry, give it two weeks and put yourself in God's hands. After two weeks, then I see them eating, sleeping, gaining weight. And the majority come to the Lord and they notice the difference, the strength that they have, because it all comes from him, from God himself. 
You can't do it without them. I tell them, you can't do it without the Lord. You do it on your own, you're going to lose. Trust in him. And I just want to say, this is Tommy Williams. You can find a flyer out there. He came that same way to the mission, broken and lost. He started the program. He trusted in the Lord. He accepted the Lord as his savior. He finished culinary school. He's, he's a chef right now. And he just became a counselor in Neptune to help those who were like him. So we got to give praise to the Lord and to everything that he does with this guy. I seen the relapse. I seen them leave. I seen them die. But I also seen them have success. Tom Sauter, assistant manager, married with two children. Jeff, truck driver. Um, Ian, works with me at the register. He's a physical trainer. He knows jiu-jitsu, kung fu, whatever, you know, I feel safe when he's there with me. <laughs> but this is just to show you what the Lord can do. Nothing is impossible for God. So on your way out, please, get one of these flyers, get one of these. Join us next week for the graduation and let us celebrate with these guys. And let them know they have the biggest family in the world. Thank you. Hallelujah. We praise God for our partnership with um, Jersey Shore Rescue Mission and Elizabeth leading us uh, and our missions team. And so a lot happening next Sunday, but uh, be praying about that and looking forward to that. We'll have our special Palm Sunday message our service followed by our luncheon and uh, the egg hunt and then of course at three o'clock the graduation it's open for everybody so come on out here's some amazingly powerful testimonies about what god is doing uh, in people's lives and then of course the following friday uh, is um, our good friday service and we do this traditionally every year and um, you know we look forward to easter sunday to resurrection Sunday. I like, I like that name better. And, um, but you know, you can't get to Sunday without going through Friday. And so this is a special service that we have 7 p.m. here at church. We take communion together and uh, we read the scriptures together. There will be some worship and we remember, most importantly, we remember Christ and the cross and what it took for us to get to Sunday because it's all about what it cost him. And so it's a special evening uh, where we gather to remember the Lord Jesus Christ and his sacrifice on our behalf. And I have to say that the celebration on the following Sunday, on that Sunday the 9th, Easter Sunday, is just sweeter and more celebratory when um, you come to a service like this and you take time, set aside time to remember the sacrifice of the Lord. And so we have that service on Good Friday. And then, of course, um, Resurrection Sunday, April 9th. And so that's coming up in just a couple of weeks. And as I said earlier, next week and then especially on Resurrection Sunday are wonderful opportunities to invite those friends and family and neighbors perhaps you've been sharing your faith with that uh, might not want to come to church, but maybe they are willing to go to church a couple times a year, Easter and Christmas, right? And so this is a great opportunity to do that. So be praying now, thinking about who those people might be that 
you would encourage to come on out and uh, join us for our celebration on Resurrection Sunday. That's April 9th. And uh, there'll be a special message, of course, that day as well. Um, and we're just going to look at the uniqueness of Jesus. He is Jesus, the one and only. Because we've been talking about false teachers in our study of Second Peter, and so much of false teaching 2,000 years ago and today revolves around um, uh, Jesus Christ and who he is, what he said and what he did and who he is. And misunderstanding that leads to false teaching about everything else. And so on that Easter Sunday, we're going to look at the uniqueness of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And then finally, one more um, just announcement. As you've been hearing the last couple of weeks and you saw an email go out, it's on our website as well, that on Saturday, April 29th, we're having a special one-day event. It is a one-day conference focused on what the Bible tells us about the assurance of our salvation. We believe here at Trinity and preach that you cannot lose your salvation once you place your faith and trust in Jesus. But what about having the assurance that you truly are saved without a shadow of a doubt? What does the Bible say about that? And why is that so important to our everyday walk with the Lord? And so we have a couple of guest speakers coming in, Grant Hawley and Joe Duke become friends of mine. And so wanted to invite them to come and lead us that day. It'll be from 9 a.m. to 3.30 p.m. and uh, leaves you plenty of time for the rest of the the afternoon and evening to enjoy the day. Hopefully it'll be great weather coming up, but uh, we're gonna provide breakfast and provide lunch. Everything will be here, uh, but I encourage you to uh, go to our website and register, trinityalwood.com slash events. And uh, of course it's free uh, and it's free for all. So spread the word and let your friends know. Um, even if they go to, you know, especially if they're going to other churches and enjoying fellowship at other churches, just to come and enjoy a day of, of intensive uh, study of Scripture and exploring what it has to say about this crucial issue of the assurance of our salvation. All right, so spread the word, go to the website and register for that, 9 to 3.30 uh, in the afternoon on Saturday, April 29th. All right, and um, go ahead and, and do that. And you can find out all the information uh, about that on our website, trinityallenwood.com. So what I'd like to do now, uh, we have a lot of uh, announcements, a lot of things going on. I'd like to pray and just pray as we, um, as we open God's word together in our continued study of uh, First and Second Peter, following Jesus in a hostile world. Let's pray. Father, we are going to open your word now and study it explore it, unpack it. And Father God, of course, our desire is not to just gain knowledge, but to understand how we can put this knowledge into practice, to put feet to our faith, to use our hands, to put our bodies and our minds to work in living out this faith you have called us to each and every day. Father, would you um, help us to glean much from this important passage of your word. And God, that we would be transformed by it, for your word is alive. You call it a double-edged sword, powerful and living. Our desire is to be changed, to not be the same people when we leave here that we were when we walked in. It would all be to your glory and all because of your power and your presence 
in your word. So God, humble us as we look at your very word together. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. There's a news story from this past week. It was posted on Insider News on their website on Thursday. I found it elsewhere. It was carried by many news outlets. And here was the title, and I'd like to read to you just the caption, uh, just the, the first few paragraphs of this news story. The title was, Three Fake Pastors in Maryland Said It Was God's Mission for Them to Help Build Others' Wealth as they bilk 1,200 people out of $28 million in the process. On Thursday, two were sentenced on securities fraud charges. The third person had already fled the country. Three men from Maryland who posed as pastors and financial advisors ran a Ponzi scheme that netted them close to $28 million before massive bank account overdrafts blew their cover. According to the Department of Justice, one was sentenced to nearly 10 years in prison on Thursday, while a co-conspirator was sentenced to six years on conspiracy to commit wire fraud, conspiracy to commit securities fraud, and securities fraud charges. The third alleged co-conspirator fled to South Africa back in May of 2019, the same month that the money started to run out. He has since been arrested in South Africa per the Department of Justice. These three men launched a phony financial literacy and wealth management firm titled First Millions in August of 2017, telling investors that they were investing in crypto ventures and promising monthly returns on investments as high as 35%. They frequented churches to recruit at least 1,200 victims who poured in millions of dollars and lied by saying that they were licensed traders under the laws of the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission. These three men presented themselves as pastors and spiritual leaders and told prospective investors from churches that first millions was working to the furtherance of God's mission and that it helped churches and their members achieve personal wealth and financial freedom. We have been studying false teaching in our exploration of first and now second Peter. They come in all shapes and sizes with all kinds of messages. Unfortunately, it seems more these days than ever in the past, these false teachings seem to revolve around money. Why would that be? Well, money is one of the great enticers and great motivators in our life, is it not? False teachers can be powerful and very persuasive. 1,200 people churchgoers gave in excess of $28 million to these false teachers. 
They often look right for the part and sound right in what they say. They have the right surroundings, the right context. Church, on Christian radio, TV, sponsored YouTube channels with thousands or millions of subscribers. They seem legitimate and they use the scriptures to back up their case. It reminds me of a story from the scriptures. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after Jesus had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he became hungry. And the tempter came and said to Jesus, If you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. But Jesus answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Then the devil took him into the holy city and had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple and said to Jesus, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command the angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, on the other hand, it is written, you shall not put your Lord, the Lord your God, to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to Jesus, all these things I will give to you if you fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, go, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. And the devil left him, and behold, angels came and began to minister to him. Satan is the ultimate false teacher, using Scripture as even a temptation. Jesus was vulnerable, the Scripture says, because he was hungry. That's when Satan came and tempted him. Let's not miss that point. Because that is what Peter has been telling us in his letter, that we are to be secure in our faith, standing firm on God's very word, so that we will not be found vulnerable and susceptible to the temptations of our enemies. Jesus at that moment, humanly speaking, was vulnerable. He was hungry. Satan saw his opportunity and came in as the greatest of all false teachers. We are to be aware, to be strong, to be secure, and to be prepared. 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen reminds us this, Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. Peter says we are to beware false teachers, for they will often come as wolves, dressed in sheep's clothing, or our very enemy, Satan, coming as an angel of light. I'd like to read for you now our passage for this morning. Again, it's in 2 Peter chapter 2, 9. I'm going to start with verse 9, backing it up a bit through 16, and then we'll just briefly unpack these verses together and see what it is that Peter is doing because honestly, this is one of those passages, it's very hard hitting, not so fun to preach on, 
but yet vitally important because here in these verses, Peter unveils the false teachers. He unmasks them. Did you ever see that show? It's popular on TV, right? The Masked Singer. You ever see that? You don't know who that celebrity is, right? Until the end, they take off their mask. They're trying to guess who it is. So here, Peter, he unmasks these false teachers and said, I want you to be aware, but here's what you should be looking for, because here is what they teach and how they go about doing it, getting right to the heart of the matter. So here's what it says. Again, this is um, coming out of our passage from last week, if you remember when Peter was saying how God will judge the false teachers, but rescue those who are righteous. But he says in, in judging the unrighteous, he says to keep the unrighteous under punishment for the day of judgment, and especially those who indulge the flesh in its corrupt desires and despise authority, daring, self-willed, they do not tremble when they revile angelic majesties. Whereas angels who are greater in might and power do not bring a reviling judgment against them before the Lord. But these, like unreasoning animals, born as creatures of instinct to be captured and killed, reviling where they have no knowledge, will in the destruction of those creatures also be destroyed." Suffering wrong as the wages of doing wrong, they count it a pleasure to revel in the daytime. They are stains and blemishes, reveling in their deceptions as they carouse with you, having eyes full of adultery that never cease from sin, enticing unstable souls, having a heart trained in greed, accursed children, forsaking the right way, they have gone astray, having followed, followed the way of Balaam, the son of Beor, who loved the wages of unrighteousness. But he received a rebuke from his own transgression. For a mute donkey, speaking with the voice of a man, restrained the madness of the prophet. Some light reading for this morning, church. <laughs> Let's unpack these just one at a time. How powerful this is as Peter unmasks these false teachers. First, he says, especially those, as he is um, talking about the nature of these teachers, he says, especially those who indulge the flesh in its corrupt desires. Indulging the flesh. See, the flesh is often used as simply another word for sin. Paul talks about it often, about not giving in to the flesh or giving in to sin. And so Peter is saying, these false teachers, they indulge the flesh. See the language? He's, he uses a lot of powerful language and descriptive language in these verses. They indulge the flesh, so they purposely and wantonly pursue sin. And he's saying, the, these desires are corrupt because they come from the wicked human heart. Indulging the flesh, really, he's talking about sin. 
It's what we want disregarding what God wants. It's our natural desires that are corrupt because of the sin nature, not being towards God himself. Listen to what Paul says in Romans 13, 12 to 16. Paul says, the night is almost gone and the day is near. Therefore, let us lay aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us behave properly as in the day, not carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual promiscuity and sensuality, not in strife and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh in regard to its lusts. See, Paul spoke boldly against sin in the flesh, and so is Peter. False teachers will shy away from condemning sin, therefore giving permission to sin. You know, it's interesting as well as he goes on to say, they also despise authority. That passage I just read from Romans 13 is at the end of Paul's classic treatise on how Christians should obey the governing authorities over them. Romans 13. You read it sometime and you'll see how Paul is talking about how we are to obey the government. Obey those in authority over us at every level. And he ends that passage by saying these things, that we are to put aside, we are different. We are to be obedient to those in authority over us. Unlike, as Peter says, these false teachers who despise authority. See the difference? Because it's coming from the wicked heart. He goes on to say they are daring, self-willed. They don't even tremble when they do something as amazing as reviling angelic majesties. not interesting? Why would he even say that? He's trying to paint this picture to say these false teachers that he was dealing with that we should also still be aware of 2,000 years later, they despise authority. Why? Because they would even revile fallen angels. You say, what's so wrong with that? Angels are powerful beings. We don't obey them. They obey God. But God uses angels to do his will. But we know a third of the angels fell with Satan. We call them fallen angels. But still, these false teachers are doing something even as brazen as accusing and reviling angelic beings. Beings that are fallen yet still created by God. Being judged, yes, they have their judgment. But still, Peter is trying to make the point, you don't even go down that road to revile angelic beings. It's brazen to even say that they would speak against even fallen angels. For they, all angels, the good angels, have authority as God gives them. Even the fallen angels who report to Satan under God's sovereignty Report to him. So Peter's trying to paint this picture, see? Do you see how bad these false teachers are? We are not to take this lightly, church. That's what Peter's trying to say. Don't take false teaching lightly. Ah, that's okay, no big deal, no harm, no foul. No, Peter's saying just the opposite. And they revile authority, they despise it, their desires are corrupt. They will sprinkle in a lot of truth with their lies. It may sound good and right and biblical, 
but he's saying beware of them because of how brazen they are to the point where they will even tell you, it's okay to sin. You sin, it's fine. God understands. It's all good. You remember I talked about the, the, um, the early heresy that Peter specifically was dealing with, the rise of what's called Gnosticism, comes from that word gnosis or knowledge that these people who claim to be Christians said that they could have a special knowledge apart from God and his word to really get to know the spiritual entities, the spiritual world. You see, that's what he was fighting against. But we have all kinds of heresies and false teachings today. We talked a lot about that last week. But here, Peter is trying to get to the point and saying he's going to continue making this point to say, look, we are, like Paul said, to give no provision to the flesh because the flesh, what the flesh motivates us to do is sinful in God's eyes. In Jesus Christ, we have been made new creations. Our spirit is new, but we still live in these earthen vessels, right, that are given to, giving into temptation, sin. So he says we are to put that aside. As Paul said in Romans 13, let, let's just behave properly. Put all of that stuff which is related to darkness, put that away, but put on the armor of light. Put on Jesus Christ himself. But then he continues, Peter does, in verse 11. And he continues his thought, Whereas angels who are greater in might and power do not bring a reviling judgment against them before the Lord. See, he's just kind of put an exclamation point on the statement saying, these false teachers, they'll revile angels. And he's just like, not even the good angels will revile the false angels. He's talking about this spiritual realm, see? I'm trying to say, see how bad it is. But then look in verse 12. But these, meaning these false teachers, now he's going to describe them in a different way. But these, like unreasoning animals, born as creatures of instinct to be captured and killed, reviling where they have no knowledge, will in the destruction of those creatures also be destroyed. See, he's going back to what he had said in our passage from last week, that God will judge these false teachers, and at the same time, rescue and protect the righteous, right? Separating darkness from light. Where are we to be, church, as believers in Jesus Christ, walking with him, children of light, we are now called, no longer in the darkness. So now Peter is describing them like animals, saying they don't even reason, right? They're not even like acting like humans. They're acting like animals who just react to their situation, who just react and give in to their basis of desires to do what feels good. And then he says they're acting and teaching on what they don't even know, giving in to instinct, reviling because they don't have any knowledge. Another sign of false teachers, those who are not studied in the word of God. He says they will, re reap, they will reap the rewards of their own sin, is what Peter's trying to say. Again, they will be judged. But in the meantime, they will lead many astray. I'll park there for a second. Remember also what Jesus did so often. This is really important, church, remember this. Keep this in context. Who did Jesus spend so much time talking to? Not arguing with, not debating but speaking out against and condemning for their teaching was the Pharisees. 
and the Sadducees, the false teachers, the ones who were leading the people of Israel, their great, their great exalted teachers and leaders, Jesus spent so much time railing against them because they should have known better. A lot of what they were speaking was true, but they were leading the people astray as false teachers. Why did that bother Jesus so much when it even says that he became indignant? Can you picture Jesus, our Savior, being indignant? Remember the time that he, he overturned the money changer tables? I mean, Jesus was that incensed about false teachers. Therefore, we should take this seriously, as Peter's saying. How about in verses 13 and 14? We'll take these two together. Suffering wrong as the wages of doing wrong. So he's saying they will get their day in court. They will be judged. They, continuing with the false teachers, they count it a pleasure to revel in the daytime. You see what he's saying? He's saying false teachers can get to the point where they're not even trying to hide it anymore. They're not even trying to be deceitful. They don't even care. They're not trying to stay under cover of darkness, that they'll just come right out and expose themselves for who they are with pleasure and revel in it in the daytime. I think Peter's trying to make a point, isn't he? <laughs> they are stains and blemishes. Peter, tell us how you really feel about these false teachers. They are reveling in their deceptions. He uses that word a lot, right? They revile, but they revel in what they're doing. And they carouse with you. Because you see the church is allowing these false teachers to come in, these wolves in sheep's clothing, and they carouse right along with you. They're trying to, to just get you involved. Say, it's okay, we can do this. God would honor this, and this is okay. Follow me, we'll do this together. See? to catch others up in their false teaching. Verse 14, having eyes full of adultery that never cease from sin, enticing unstable souls. There he goes again. He's saying if we're vulnerable and unstable, then we will buy in to the false teachers and all that leads after that, especially the false teachings about who Jesus is. Having a heart trained in greed as a cursed children. Again, strong, strong words. Stains and blemishes they are. They have flagrant disregard for God, for his word, and for the power of sin in our lives. They take joy in leading people away from God. They entice unstable, uh, unstable souls. And then finally, the last two verses in our passage. Forsaking the right way, they have gone astray, having followed the way of Balaam, the son of Beor, who loved the wages of unrighteousness. But he, meaning Balaam, received a rebuke for his own transgression, for a mute donkey, speaking with the voice of a man, restrained the madness of the prophet. Let's stay there for just a moment. If you remember from last week, uh, Peter gave three examples uh, of false teachers from the Old Testament. Here again, he brings up another story, another account, a very interesting one from the Old Testament. Maybe this is one you remember from Sunday school or perhaps one that you read a long time ago and um, haven't read recently. But this is found in Numbers 22 through 23, the book of Numbers in the Old Testament, chapters 22 to 24. 
Here's what happened, and here's why Peter is using this story. See, Balaam was a prophet of God. Balaam was not a false prophet. He was actually a prophet called by God, doing a pretty good job. But he became a false teacher. See, this is why this is such a powerful story for Peter to use as an example. Of course, all of his readers would have known this story inside and out made the connection immediately. But see, Balaam was a prophet of God, a true prophet, but he was a false teacher nonetheless. So Balaam is approached by the king of Moab, King Balak. See, the king wanted to curse the people of Israel. Why? Because they were making their way in the promised land, the land of Canaan, and they started to take up residence in this king's territory, and that was something you just don't do. So the king tried to entice Balaam as a prophet. He recognized him as a prophet of God, and he tried to get Balaam, the prophet of God, to curse the people of Israel, to try to get him to go against what God was doing and against God's people. Why? Because he offered him a reward. He said, you do this, I'll make you rich. I'll give you all kinds of rewards if you just do this thing for me. I want these Israelites out of my territory, out of my land. So he entices Balaam, the prophet of God, with great rewards if he would just pronounce a curse over the people of Israel. So what was Balaam's downfall ultimately? It says that he still had a heart of wickedness, that he was unstable, susceptible to these enticements and temptations. And so Balaam kind of gave in at first and kind of didn't. Listen to the rest of the story. So his heart, the Bible says, Balaam was not for God. Even though God called him as a prophet, his heart was not for God. He turns out to be a deceiver because why? He wants personal gain. He was in it for the money. Remember the story I started with about these three fake pastors who built people out of millions. Here is Balaam, a prophet of God, speaking for God, but really is in it for what he can gain. So Balaam goes ahead and he is called by King Balak to pronounce this curse. So they go up on different mountains. And at the time, what Balaam did, again, in deceitfulness, it seemed good on the outside, but it really wasn't on the inside. He said, I said to the king, I'll go ahead and do this, but I can only say what God allows me to say. So when he gets up on these high mountains to pronounce this curse over the people of Israel, what he does is he pronounces a blessing. And the king's getting frustrated. I just say, let's try this again, Balaam. Let's try this again. And every time he gets up there and he pronounces a blessing instead of a curse, it seems like, oh, Balaam has turned the corner. He's doing the right thing. So time after time that happens. But then Balaam finds a way, as he thought, to kind of circumvent God's, God's commands. So he comes to the king himself and he says, you know what? I know a way that you can get the Israelites out of here. I know a way that you can deceive them, entice them with idolatry and sexual immorality with the pagan nations around him, the Midianites. So the king says, well, that's a good idea. You see, so Balaam is thinking, well, I didn't pronounce a curse over the people of Israel. I'm good with God. But yet he is leading the people of God astray. He's a prophet. 
but a false teacher because he gives King Balak the idea on the way to lead the people of Israel astray by deceiving them, see? So Balaam didn't directly curse Israel. That frustrated the king. But then he tells the king, hey, I can do this for you. Do I still get my reward? The king says, yeah. You see, Balaam was in it for the money. So he entices, the king does, the people of Israel through Balaam, right, to lead them into idolatry and sexual immorality with the Midianites, the things that God told them to be aware of and to stay away from. Not a false prophet, but a false teacher. And this is why Peter uses him. It got to the point where even God, through an angel, presents himself to Balaam. Balaam was riding on a donkey. Remember the end of that story? And see, but Balaam in his wickedness, he can't see this angel of God coming to correct him. And so the donkey starts to talk. What would you do if you're riding a horse, started talking to you, right? <laughs> so Balaam, right, is judged. See, Peter is using this to wrap it all up. And he's saying, I told you that God would judge these false teachers. He says, remember Balaam? And all the, the readers and listeners are like, oh yeah, we remember Balaam. Remember what he did, that scoundrel, that false teacher. He claimed and on the outside looked like he was being a true upright prophet of God and even said, no, I'm gonna, uh, he pronounced a blessing over Israel. He didn't follow the king, but eventually he found a back door, so he thought, so he could get his reward. That is a picture of a false teacher being unmasked by God himself. To bring this to a conclusion, even Jesus Christ himself uses this story of Balaam as an example of false teachers in the church. Revelation chapter 2, you remember how the book of Revelation opens? The letters to the seven churches, that Jesus commends them for things, but he says, but I have this thing against you. Listen to what he says in Revelation 2, 14, about the church at Pergamum. But I have a few things against you. This is Jesus to the church. Because you have there some who hold to the teaching of Balaam, who kept teaching Balak to put a stumbling block before the sons of Israel, to eat things, sacrifice to idols, and to commit acts of immorality. See what he's saying to the church? You're letting false teachers come among you, so you outwardly might look like you're following God, but you are actually allowing sin to come in through the front door and fester and take root, and then to corrupt and become toxic. See, Jesus is saying, you know what? I have these things against you because you allowed the teaching of Balaam to creep in. And he says, remember the one who allowed Balak, the king, to be a stumbling block before the people of Israel? Because he led them into sacrificing idols, idolatry, and committing acts of immorality, sexual immorality. You see that? These are things that Paul speaks out against so often as well. Church, we are to take false teaching seriously. We are to take it seriously because God does, his apostles do, and Jesus himself does. I wanted to close by reading this. This is from Corinthians chapter 3. Would you stand with me as we read this together? Colossians three sixteen to 17. 
Let this be our prayer this morning as I pray this over you. Pray this over one another, that this would be how we choose to live our lives, not like the false teachers who want to lead us in the way of Balaam. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Church, let us dwell richly in Jesus Christ and his very word. Amen? Amen. Let's go in peace and praise the Lord.
He's out. 